Amen. I'm glad that y'all are here today. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord and uh, to sing praises to his name. Um, We're going to be in John chapter 12. If you have your scripture and want to open it up to to John chapter 12, Uh, we're going to continue on in our series, Beholding His Glory. And um, you know, when the the historic uh, Church of the Open Door was in downtown Los Angeles, uh, I've heard that if you stood behind the pulpit in that great church, uh, you looked out to this massive auditorium, and, and it consisted of this, this really large uh, floor, and then there was a balcony behind that, and then there was a second balcony above that even. And uh, although I never stood there, I understand that it gave you a feeling of importance just to stand there in front and look out uh, the large crowd that had gathered there to hear uh, someone speak. And just as your ego might begin to inflate and and you quickly came down to earth when you looked at this little plaque that was fixed to the inside of the pulpit with the words of John 12, 21 on it, it said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. In other words, we didn't come here to see you. We don't want to be impressed by your brilliance or eloquence. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Those are appropriate words for every preacher to remember, and for that matter, every Christian to remember, because they want to see Jesus in our lives. You know, in in John, 1 John 3, verse 2, the apostle tells us, we know that when he appears... We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. (laughs) Listen, seeing Jesus, seeing him will transform us. When we see Jesus, we will be transformed. And even so now, even though we, we see in a mirror dimly, our aim should be to see more and more of Jesus. And as we grow, we see more and more of his glory now. It progressively changes us into his image. Hopefully, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so the question this morning is how do we see Jesus and his glory now? How do we see his, how do we see Jesus and his glory now? In John chapter 12, I want to read beginning in verse 20, and I want to read down through verse 26. And if you have your scripture, and we'll just follow along here, it says in verse 20, now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And these men came, excuse me, then they, these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and he told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, this passage tells us to see Jesus and his glory. We need to look at the cross, to look at the cross. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word and how it challenges us. And Father, I pray that in this place today, Father, that that you would do a work that only you can do in the human heart. Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that they would experience you for the first time today. Father, that they, that we would see Jesus this morning. Father, I pray that you would draw us, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds. Father, that you would illuminate your word for us. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You know, I ask you to keep in mind that the first part of this passage uh, is the, excuse me, the latter part of this passage is in context to the first part of it in in verses 20 uh, down through 22. You know, see, there was certain Greeks, certain Gentiles, if you will, that came to Philip and they asked him to assist them in a conversation with Jesus so that they might talk with him. And, and let me remind you that, that they didn't want to just view Jesus. They wanted to basically interview him. They, they wanted to know Jesus. They, they didn't want to just see him. They wanted to get to know him. And I think this is important because these verses that, that we look at this morning are in context of these inquiring Gentiles, these Greeks that came to see Jesus. See, he was in front of, of them, the, 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 these Gentiles. What was standing in front of Jesus were these Gentiles who came from the West to see him. Listen, the entire world, both hemispheres and all ethnicities of people find their center and their meeting place in Jesus Christ. W.E. Vine said that the Gentile wise men from the east came to Christ's cradle. And then these Gentile wise men from the west came to his cross. See, in the conversation about the Gentiles from the west, Jesus gives one of the greatest principles of the New Testament, of New Testament discipleship. He puts this out there, and it is the underlying principle of a successful, fruitful, Christ-honoring Christian life. And if these men who met Christ as they headed, as he was headed towards his cross, and who truly wanted to know him, then they would have to hear his words about the grain of wheat. This is important. Roger uh, Fredrickson, he said this, he makes a noteworthy uh, observation about these inquirers. He said, now the Greeks come. You remember Jesus talking about the other sheep? He says here, the other sheep, not of his flock, have heard the voice of the shepherd. (laughs) These are God-fearing Gentiles 
possibly proselytes or, or someone who has come to be like a Jew because they were coming to the feast. They were coming to the, the Passover feast in Jerusalem and they, they had traveled a great distance. And the visit of these Greeks indicates a crucial moment here because Jesus' hour to be glorified has finally come. You remember all through the Gospels, he keeps saying, this is not my hour, it's not time yet. And now he says, the hour has come. These other sheep had heard the voice of the shepherd. And and so he says it will come. And now, it's here right now, the coming of these Gentiles who represent a waiting world is the sign that the time to lay down his life has finally come. See, our Lord's response here to the request of the Greeks to see him became the platform from which he would announce one of the most crucial foundational principles in the Christian life, and that is this, that in order to live, in order to truly live, we must die. In order to truly live, we must die. See, Christ had to die for our sins. And we must, by identification with Christ, die to our sins. Verse 24, we see four foundational facts here about our life in Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What I want you to see is there is a principle here that needs to be applied. When I say applied, it means it needs to go in. It needs to go deeper than just in this ear and out this ear. It needs to come through your being. It needs to be applied. It needs to be lived out. This is the underlying and all-important principle in our new life in Jesus Christ. You see, a Christian is not just an improved person. Someone who has turned over a new leaf, so to speak. But a Christian is a new being, is a new person. The Apostle Paul makes this point clear. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed and the new has come. It is a new person, not just someone who is improved. Paul states it the same way, the same principle in a different way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives. But Christ lives in me. And now I live my life for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. See, some people describe the Christian life as the exchanged life. It is exchanging the the self-life for the Christ life. It's an exchange that takes place. Jesus is giving us a word picture in our text this morning when he speaks about a grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying. John Phillips reminds us, he says, all gardening and farming are founded on the principle that seed has to be sown in the ground. That its germ of life can only reproduce when the seed is sown, when it's put into the ground and it dies. 
A grain of corn can never fulfill the law of its being apart from the process of death, burial, and resurrection. I'm sensing a theme here. See, what is true of the corn and wheat is also true of every believer in Jesus Christ. Before there can be life, before there can be fruitfulness, there must be death. So there's a principle here to be applied. We must die to self. There's also a problem to solve. Look at verse 24, the second part of that. It it says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Folks, this is the tragedy of many Christians, and I want to say of many churches. They remain alone. They remain alone. They have not discovered the principle of reproduction and of growth. They have not died to selfish desires and to ambition. (laughs) You know, about two or three spring seasons ago, I was working in my garage and I came across an old bag of grass seed. It was a leftover bag. It might have been like, you know, 25% left in the bag. Then it was hidden behind some stuff in a remote corner, just stuff piled on top of it, and I kind of had forgotten that it was there. It was definitely not fulfilling its intended purposes. And I thought about some of that, those thin spots in my yard, you know, those bare spots. And I thought, well, maybe I'll put that grass seed out there. Decided to, to see if I could use it for some good. But you know what? Nothing happened. I put that grass seed out there and nothing happened. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. Time passed and there was no new grass and I discovered something that happened to the seed in its prolonged isolation. It lost its usefulness. It lost its ability to reproduce. Unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. See, it is a dangerous thing for believers to be isolated from the environment that will bring about their life and their fruitfulness. You know, I've always seemed to be an introvert as opposed to an extrovert. Now, it's totally amazing to me that God would call me to do what he has called me to do. But in my weakness, he is strong. I mean, why would he call an introvert to speak in front of people? He's probably laughing right now. But what I also know is the isolation of this pandemic that we have been in has made me even more of an introvert than I was before. You know, I I think that's huge because I must be intentional about reaching out and interacting with others. I cannot wait for conditions to be perfect, to be to my liking. I have to go ahead and move out. See, many times we are involved in church, we're involved in ministry, and we wait for the perfect conditions for us to jump on board. But folks, it's not good for us to be isolated. It's not good for us to be alone. 
We need each other. We need him together with each other. It is dangerous for believers, young and old, to be isolated from the environment that will bring about their life and their fruit. You see, we have this principle that needs to be applied. We also have the problem that needs to be solved. And then there is also a process to be followed. What does Jesus say? He says, but if, but if it dies, but if it dies, See, the, the, the death we are to die is not instantaneous. It's not final. It's not complete. It is a process of dying. And death by crucifixion, when you think about it, was a lingering type of death. It was a, it, some victims remain on the cross for, for hours and hours lingering in this death. And the death of the grain of wheat in the earth's soil is a process. It takes time for the seed to die. It takes time for this death to yield new life. And then it takes even more time for it to bear fruit. <laughs> See, we as believers, we're not patient with the process. We're not patient for anything. We want our food now. We want fast food. We want instant food. We, we want it ready right now. We're not patient for anything. And I think this is huge because we give up too quickly. It would be like a farmer digging up the seed to check on the progress because they're not patient enough to wait for the evidence of new life. Some believers, some Christians, some church members are just like that. Not willing to stay planted and abide in Christ long enough for the process to produce life, new life, and fruit. Because we can become so impatient. I don't know, some of you may remember, some of you may not. They may remember Rick and Trish Emerson. You know, they had a dog named Gracie, and they were going out of town, and they asked us, I don't know why they asked us, but they asked us to watch their precious Gracie while they were away. And Tracy and I are not good dog sitters, just so you know, okay? I'm a gardener. I enjoy planting bulbs and seeds to beautify my yard. Anyway, the problem was that Gracie she never listened to me. She was not, I'm, I was not her owner. She chose not to listen to me and she dug several large holes in my flower beds in my backyard. Now understand, I'm not down on Gracie, but here's my point. The vast majority of my plants were just fine. They were all right. But some of them were lying out in the, in the yard where her paws had thrown them. And they were there, they were, they were limp, they were withered, they were wasted from the heat of the Texas sun. Oh, but those that remained, those that remained in the place of death, they flourished they flourished in that, and, the, and those that were taken from it were wilted, and they produced no fruit. 
Listen, this death that I'm talking about, this death to self, is not a one-time thing. It's a process. It takes time. It's not a matter of a moment. It is a location of our lives. We have to stay planted. We have to stay dead. The problem is, is we don't see any new life, so we immediately jump up out of the grave and we go back to our old way of life. You see, we have to stay dead. We have to stay planted. We have to stay in that place. I mean, do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus work in your life? Do you want to see Jesus work in your marriage? Do you want to see Jesus work in your family? Do you want to see Jesus work in your, in your place of business? Do you want to see Jesus work in your church? Do you want to see Jesus in your ministry? Then you have to die to self. Mom, dad, you got to die to self. You want to see Jesus in your home? Die to self. Stop making it about you. Make it about him. That's what we need. And you know this. You know that I'm speaking the truth to you. Because we are the most self-centered people on earth. Because we got it all. We are the wealthiest people of all the nations. And you know what? We're spoiled rotten. We're brats. Folks, we need to die to self. Yes, there must be an abiding in the place of death until the process of death to self is fully realized and new life emerges. But notice also there is a promise to be fulfilled. (laughs) The last part of that verse says this. It bears much fruit. (laughs) It bears much fruit. F.B. Meyer raised the question. He said, what vision was that which came before the mind of Christ when he heard of those Gentiles and spoke of the fruit. You know, we know that the first man in paradise, the, the, to, to him the fruit of the tree was pleasant to the eyes. And so to the second man, the fruit of the cross was above all things pleasing and desirable for the joy set before him. He humbled himself and went to the cross. Think about it. Envision the fruit of Christ's death. That's what he saw. He saw what was to come about. This fruit included his bride, the church. Y'all, you are part of the fruit that because he stayed dead, because he died to self, because he was crucified, we can have new life. We are part of that, his bride. We are part of the fruit of Christ's death. But it also includes a great multitude, (laughs) which no one can number. It also includes all of those deeds of heroism heroism and graces of self-denial, which the telling of his cross 
has given rise to the gospel and it sped across continent after continent after continent. (laughs) It included the ripe harvest of souls which lined the rows of the field for all eternity. And all of this was possible because Jesus Christ dared to die. See, the promise is is that we become participants in the production of much fruit when we enter this death. So I ask you the question, are you dying to live? Are you dying to live? Jesus said in effect, these Greeks cannot see me There is only one way by which they may see me, by which they may know me and apprehend me, and that is through the hour that has now come and that now is the way of the cross. I have to go die on the cross so that they can come to know me. So Jesus, in telling this, is the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies and so produces much fruit. Very quickly, I want to give you three applications and then I'll be done here. Three applications. The first one is about Jesus. Unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, Jesus is the grain of wheat that died. And he is to be resurrected in us as believers as his fruit. We are the fruit of Christ's death. For sinners, until the sinner dies to his own works, to his own efforts, to his own merit, to his own righteousness, he cannot know life. He cannot be saved. It is like that grain of corn that does not understand its purpose. It's going to remain alone and it will die alone. But if that sinner comes to a place and says, you know what? I can't do this. I need Jesus and dies to self, what happens is, is Jesus brings life and fruitfulness to that sinner's life. For us as believers, we too have been planted in the likeness of his death, according to Romans 6, 5. And this establishes our position and our salvation, but to become fruitful, for you and I to be fruitful We must die to self and we must put to death the works of the flesh. So I ask you, where are you this morning? Maybe you're a believer and you're still struggling with bearing fruit in your life. Basically, you're just that little tiny seed brimming with potential, but you've not died to self. Come and die. You know, ask the Lord what you need to lay down. Ask him this morning what you need to give up. Ask him what you need to crucify. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never confessed, you've never professed your faith in Christ and you're like a a little seed covered up by life's dirt and your arms are folded and you say, I'm not going to die. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, ask the Lord. He wants to bring life. He wants to bring fruitfulness out of your life. Ask the Lord what it is you need to die to. 
And when you know what that is, surrender it. Give it into the hands of the Lord because nothing is ever wasted with God. If you die to self and give it to him, he's going to produce in your life a harvest beyond your wildest dreams because that's what he does. You know, as our worship team comes back up here on stage and they're gonna lead us in a couple more more songs in just a moment, my invitation is simply this. I invite you to come and die this morning. To come and die this morning. To come and lay it at his feet, at the foot of the cross, just to, to lay it all down. Lord Jesus, I've been hanging on to myself. I've been hanging on to my agenda. I've been hanging on to my will. And I just want to lay it at your feet and let you do what you want to do in my life. See, you might just bust forth with a life full of fruit if you die to yourself. Those areas in your life may just begin to flourish. It may be a life filled with abundance, a a life worth living, a life that isn't selfish any longer, a life that matters, a life that seeks to make a difference in this world, a life that is committed to Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, something has to die. See, the cross... The cross showed God's love for us, not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. In John 3, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The cross reveals God's great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. See, Jesus didn't love us because we were worthy. He loved us in spite of our rebellion against him. And that word propitiation, it's a big word, and it points to another aspect of God's glory as seen in the cross, his perfect justice. God didn't love us so much that he just said, well, I'll overlook your sins. If he had done that, then he would not be just and he would not be righteous. A judge who dismissed murderers and rapists with no penalty would not be just. The requirement of the law must be upheld. So God's gracious solution was to send his son to be the propitiation, a sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath for our sins. So to see Jesus and his glory, you don't need to have a mystical vision of some kind. Rather, look at the cross. When you see the cross, you see Jesus's glory. Ask God to open your eyes to the glory of Christ and and him crucified. Meditate on that often. You know, D.L. Moody, he said this. He said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. You see the cross. When you look at the cross, it will humble your pride, which is our biggest obstacle. 
in loving God and loving others. The cross will stir your heart with love and worship for our Savior who gave himself even though we are all rebels. The cross will give you compassion and hope for those who are lost, who can be saved by looking in faith to Jesus as the payment for their sins. Because seeing Jesus' glory in the cross will transform you. When you look at the cross and you see Jesus' glory in the cross, it will transform you so that others will see him through you. Sir, we come full circle. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Jesus Christ who gave his life. Father, I pray that the church would die to self, would die to our agenda, to our ambitions, so that those who do not know you would be able to see Jesus in us. Father, I pray that you would make this so. That each one of us would die to self. That we would just surrender it all to you, Father. Because you are the only one worthy. Father, you are the only one who can bring life out of death. Father, I pray that you would give us the humility. Father, that we would humble ourselves before you. That others would see Jesus in us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.